Hey everyone, welcome to the Sound of Scoring podcast, where we look at some of our favorite scores from film, television, and video games, and do a deep dive on our love of music. My name is Zim, and with my co-host Michael, we're attempting to find out how these scores work and how they help to tell a story. Hey everyone, welcome to our first ever podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about Spider-Man 2, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, uh, composed by Danny Elfman, and uh, Christopher Young did a few cues here and there. Uh, But yeah, this is the first time we're we're doing this, and I'm pretty excited here today with my good friend uh, Zim. Good friend and former roommate. And former roommate, yes. Uh... And, I mean, there's a good reason why I moved out, I think. Yeah, we don't... We don't talk about that. The less said, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I guess, a little bit about uh, me and and Zim. Um, I am a graduate from Box Hill Institute, uh, having completed a Bachelor of Music um, in film composition. Composition, sorry. Um, And, Zim, you're at AIM. I I am at the... AIM, or Australian Institute of Music. Before that, I received a bachelor's in science from the University of Melbourne. So, wear many hats and, yeah. And generally smarter than me, so... Generally, um, but still stupider. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess, like, the main main thing I want to get across uh, before we get into things is that we're both pretty amateur uh, film scorers ourselves, uh, and we love film music. So either take what we say with a grain of salt or don't listen to it at all. Uh, Whatever you want to do, really. It's your life. It is your life. Um, But we're we're just fans. We just wanted to kind of have a talk about what we like. Yeah, I feel like those are opportunities that were missed out when you were living with us because we didn't get to talk about it that much and now when you moved i was like oh we have to talk about it well yeah essentially this is just a good excuse to talk to you for two hours about uh films that we like uh so yes spider-man 2 uh how did you when did you first watch spider-man the whole spider-man series well that was an interesting point in time for me because all i can remember about my cinematic tastes then were harry potter lord of the rings the high fantasy stuff um, I remember seeing Spider-Man 3 in IMAX when it came out in 2007 or 5. I think it was 2005. I can't remember. Wait, I know Spider-Man 2 was 2004. Spider-Man 3 in IMAX. Yeah, look. Was that a good experience? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so what What did you? What do you remember about Spider-Man 1 and 2? I remember really empathizing with the Tobey Maguire version of Peter Parker. Mm. Uh to me, he's my first Spider-Man that I saw. Mm-hmm. So to that end, I always have a soft spot for him. And I remember just enjoying the film immensely, loving all aspects of it, trying to really understand the characters from that such a young age as well, because it wasn't as epic or as high concept as Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. It was more grounded. More grounded. Yeah. Well, lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely do remember the music for sure. Danny yeah. Elfman's memorable. It is movie. iconic. It is. Basically. I think. I think it's probably the definitive Spider-Man theme. It it is, and considering where we're at now in the world, which is, oh, what is it? Eighteen years? No, 
Wait, my uh, sixteen years. Good maths. <laughs> Bat- Bachelor of Science over here. <laughs> yep, uh, going strong. But yeah, we've had a lot of Spider-Man themes, and this one still manages to stick out. Well, I think it's probably the only memorable one, really. <laughs> um, I still have a big place in my heart for the Han Zimmer. Uh, dubstep in uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. This is foreshadowing a future episode. So. <laughs> you bet. I will talk about that film so, for so long. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I, I honestly, as a kid, I wasn't big into comic books or anything. But when I saw, I think I might have been, how, how old would I have been? I think When, when were you born? Well, 1996. 1996. And but, it came out in 2002. Yeah. So I remember seeing the first one for my birthday. Yeah, you'd um, been about eight. Yeah, so I was about eight, and I was scared. I remember when um, he breaks through the house and and forces her to finish the prayer. I was so scared. In hindsight, that seems pretty hilarious. It's now. pretty funny, but also I still think it's great. I just think it, it really captured me at the time and made me want to like read more about Spider-Man and watch more Spider-Man, and I, I just fell in love with the character. Well, I think to the general layman or to the average cinema goer, this definitely introduced the idea of comic book characters in a way that films that Blade or X-Men didn't. Because Mm. while I do enjoy the first X-Men movie and Blade, they were trying to eschew a lot of the comic book trappings, but Spider-Man kind of embraced it. Yeah. That being said, I know there'll, there'll be people out there saying that, oh, he has, you know, skin shooters in his... Skin shooters. You know... It's still awesome, okay? Yeah, I, I think it's probably the film that recognizes the most it's a comic book movie. Yeah. And it and it kind of is a comic book as a movie. Like, it, it just kind of, it's very kind of hammy, it a, is, bit, yeah. a bit camp. And I, I, I like that. It like, is to that, I, I guess, silver or golden age of comics. The one that is not as dark. And yeah. the music is a big, big factor in that. Well, yes, it is, Zim. Good segue there. Um, I will also say, because I am noticing a lot of noise, uh, this is our first ever podcast on um, in Zim's bedroom and probably not the best gear in the world. But yeah, just bear with us with the uh, poorer audio, audio quality too. In hindsight, we have actual microphones. We tried a test run and we yep. didn't have microphones. But the irony is what will probably happen is you'll review the whole thing later and say you know what maybe we don't need microphones <laughs> yeah yeah probably be worse yeah uh but yeah i'm sitting on a chair i've just realized that this chair is very creaky uh which is very good for recording oh, i heard it <laughs> yep. uh and you can hear the cars outside anyway we'll, you it's know, ambiance we'll deal guys. with it for now we'll hopefully get better in the future uh but for now let's move on now as you said uh spider-man came out in 2002 uh spider-man Two came out in two thousand and four. Spider Man three came out in two thousand and seven. Now we're going to focus on Spider Man two today, but I guess it wouldn't hurt to kind of have a look at Sam Raimi. Um, he he's mainly known for the Evil Dead series and kind of cult classic indie films, and I think that comes through in a lot of what he does in Spider Man. But it is a bit of a left turn to go. You know, I'm going to do these semi kids films. He's from... done some other stuff as well in between. I think he did some called The Dark Man with Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was like an almost protos superhero-ish thing. Yeah. And I, it blended his sensibility of the horror stuff with the more 
traditional superhero stuff. And I think that would be a good stepping point then into Spider-Man. And Sam Raimi, till this day, is well known for the Evil Dead films mm-hmm. and the Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I forgot about Dark Man. I just could came to my head. There. I just remembered. Could pick up there. Yeah, that's. I think that's his first comic book movie. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Danny Elfman. Now, if you haven't heard of Danny Elfman, you have because uh, the You've Simpsons. You've heard his music. That's for sure. The Simpsons. He wrote the the main Simpsons theme. He didn't. He wasn't the composer for the show, but he wrote the themes for that show. He's probably the most famous thing he's ever done. But he's also done things like Batman '89, most famously. Every Tim Burton movie. Every Tim Burton film. We've got Edward Scissorhands, The Corpse Bride, Alice in Wonderland. This is not in order. Dumbo. Uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes, which was actually... That's their first one, I Elfman's think. first film score. Ugh. Which is... Because he's mainly... Fo- he was famous before that for being in Oingo Boingo. Yes. Uh, which is... Uh, an 80s kind of pop band Hadn't listened to them that much It was a band Yeah, it was a band <laughs> uh, And then he's gone on to do I mean, he's done a lot of things Like Good Goodwill Hunting All of the Men in Black films oh, 50, sh- 50 yeah. Shades of Grey uh, Sometimes you just need that paycheck <laughs> Yep, and he's won Grammys I mean, I think he won a Grammy for Batman 89 Naturally. And Desperate Housewives he wrote the themes for Death, Desperate Housewives as well. And he's, he got a Grammy yet for it. To, he's yet to win an Academy Award, I think. <laughs> yes, but he has been nominated for 75 awards total and he's wow. won 35. That's a that's almost a halfway. <laughs> yeah. uh, his influences uh, are mainly kind of Hollywood golden age composers like Bernard Herrmann, of most course. obviously, uh, and classical comp- composers like Igor Stravinsky and Richard Wagner, which I feel like is every film composer. Every film scorer has to go to Wagner. He hasn't done much work as of late. No, and well, I mean, we'll get to him making up with Raimi yeah. to do Oz the Great and Powerful, which nobody saw. Um, but yeah, so along with uh, Danny Elfman, there is a whole kind of side thing that go- is going on in this film uh, where we have two other composers that have helped. Now, generally, the arrangers on the films do help out with some cues um, generally. And I don't know if De- John Debney was doing that at the time, but he's he did some ag- additional cues for this, like the pizza delivery scene mm. at the beginning <clears throat> that everyone loves. And main uh, the... The main guy that came in to do some extra stuff was Christopher Young, uh, who ended up doing Spider-Man 3 because Danny Elfman and and Sam Raimi had a bit of a falling out. Foreshadowing. Yes, foreshadowing. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Christopher Young, though, uh, mainly works in horror and thriller, which is, I guess, why Sam Raimi decided to work with him. Uh, Didn't they have their own falling out as well? Probably. Sam Raimi just seems like a hard dude to work with, to be honest, but... Uh, films like Hellraiser and Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Christopher Whoa. Young's done. Uh, very deep cuts. Um, High profile stuff there. Yeah. And uh, recently did Pem- Pet Cemetery. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't nobody seen s- that one, but I heard Nobody that. saw that either. No. Uh, I don't know if the score's good. Maybe. I'm going to have to YouTube that later. Maybe. Uh, so, yeah, the additional stuff that he, he did on the, on the um, film was mainly the runaway train scene. Oh, yeah. And the demonstration where he gets the arms and stuff like that and the bank. 
uh, which should, should uh, we just talk about the plot of Spider-Man Two for those who haven't actually well, seen Spider-Man Two? That is a good. Do you want to go through what the? Can you tell me what the story was in? <laughs> Put uh, you on the spot. All right. Well, so Spider-Man Two, as the number suggests, was after Spider-Man One. Well, th- oh. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We are no longer at the origin story. Peter Parker is being Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but he's finding it hard to juggle his personal life with his superhero life. His crush MJ is, you know, dating other guys that he just doesn't feel that you know he he doesn't like that. His best friend Harry Osborn, you know, who spoiler alert, his dad was the Green Goblin in Spider-Man One. Is kind of angry at Peter because he Peter's takes pitch pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty um, much the only reason. <laughs> meanwhile, we have a developing villain in Dark Ark, where in an experiment gone wrong, he now has these mechanical arms attached to himself, and he's got some nefarious plan in store for New York. But if Spider-Man can stop him, then the plan won't happen but who knows watch the movie you know there's a spider-man 3 after this so i mean you do the math spider-man dies (laughs) spoilers but i mean you say nefarious uh kind of uh intentions but they with this villain i feel like it's almost started the trend of the relatable villain and and either that or they're calling environmentalists <laughs> villains because he wants to make uh, the world like, a better place. He wants to make like free energy, like perpetual energy, yeah. by making a literal sun in his own room, and he thinks that's a good idea. So he is a little insane. Did not think that the sun, you know, creates gravity and gravitational pull. No, he didn't think about that at all. But you know what? That's comic book logic. So maybe because he was reading too much poetry and uh, telling other people to read poetry like he does in the movie a lot. Yeah, that happens in the movie. He's but, like, uh, you know, I know how to get a girl. Uh, read a poetry. <laughs> I can't speak for everyone else, but I haven't tried that yet. I wouldn't. I I, I specifically wouldn't try that. Um, but we digress. That is the standard plot for Spider-Man Two. It really is a great film. One of the it's always considered as the top tier comic book movies, just under The Dark Knight, because you can't beat The Dark Knight. But that's another story. <laughs> well, that is your opinion, Tim. <laughs> that is my opinion. Yes, that is my opinion. Uh, I yeah, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on Spider-Man Two. I think it is my favorite comic yeah. book film. Is it your um, favorite Spider-Man movie? Oh, I think yes. Really, compared to Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, you got me there. Yeah. I feel like I always... It's definitely literally in my top two, and I always forget about Into the Spider-Verse, and I don't know why. Um, You forget it, and then when you think about it, like, you can't forget about it. I can't forget about it. It's a great film. Well, that essentially sums up our own kind of main feelings on... Yes. um, Sorry that it took uh, so long to do that. It is, again, our inaugural podcast, and we have a lot to unpack, seeing this is a key film in our childhoods um i think it plays more of a role for you than it does for me but nevertheless still a key film um what we now want to discuss is the actual music and the main themes involved now to talk about the main themes we'd have to go back to spider-man one because that's what all things in a trilogy things and themes have to be carried for continuity's sake except when marvel does it because they don't understand that oh they didn't until like you know what i'll that's a tease he's, for another episode. He's, he's got some issues around that. <laughs> Sounds like he does. Anyway, I need to get uh, that off my chest. 
But I think I think also, and it, and it will come to discussion later. There is some tension uh, in this film. There is Danny Elfman wanting to do different things, and Sam Raimi being like, "No, we want to do what you did in the first film because it works so well." So I think there's a bit of push and poo- pull. There's um, the I said push and poo. <laughs> um, first first podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And then I called attention to it to try and make it less awkward, but I didn't. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I think Danny Elfman, you can tell he's trying to do some different things, um, but then he's kind of being reined in a bit. Uh, but I think it makes for an interesting score. So uh, the themes that have come from Spider-Man 1 are generally the same for, uh, coming into Spider-Man 2. I think you've used the term needle dropped. To describe. Uh, so we can discuss what needle dropped ne- needle dropping. We can talk about that later. But later essentially, yeah. it's it's just the same audio being dropped in to a film. But I think that's different from just um, themes being yep. taken over and being reinterpreted. And and Danny Elfman definitely reinterprets his themes here in Spider Man Two, but they are generally the same. Um, so let's take a look at Spider-Man slash Peter Parker's um, themes in this film. So, I mean, like every great Spider-Man, Sam Raimi film, uh, there is an opening credit so scene. So only two out of three? Yes. <laughs> um, there is the opening credits, which uh, we all love, uh, and has most of the themes in there except for MJ's theme, I think. Uh, but let's have a look at the opening credits which has uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man's theme in there. amazing piece i love that so much just how does it, how does this theme make you feel well, what do you what do you draw from it well i guess i mean first of all I, I, the, defining the theme i guess if we can get on the same page of that yeah. so i regard the theme basically as was it like three or four notes just that dun, 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 is it a three dun. or four because it, it rises twice doesn't it yeah yeah and it kind of goes on and 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 if you view the whole thing then that's a long melody but i like to kind of just shorten it down yeah to that key kind of motif light motif if you will film knowledge wagner bringing it back (laughs) um and i guess what when i when i hear that theme it's it's literally the embodiment of reaching for something and trying to be better. That's like what I get from that. It's always rising. It's always trying to get there. And especially in this film, he does a lot of reaching for more and like not quite getting there. And 
you can especially here in that opening credits theme it does keep rising and it does keep going but it never gets to a point where you're like ah oh, got it yeah. we're like we're relieved now we're you know Danny Elfman never quite quite gives us that relief does it have that authentic cadence oh or a perfect cadence yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah what do, what do you think about that I think thing? that for me it is the musical embodiment of the main phrase with great power comes great responsibility mm. i think it is a perfect musical translation of that because you feel there's a bit of weight to the theme there's a bit of gravitas to it like it's still also light it's airy there's a lot of you, you also get the feeling that it's mimicking the swinging of spider-man through the city but it like you said it never really results because there's still a weight and seriousness and gravitas to it so in my mind i think it's the perfect the perfect representation of that main sentiment within all three movies and the character of spider-man in and of itself i know the later films try and skirt around that line by coming up with other creative ways to say it but the key important thing with spider-man is like with great power comes great responsibility how do you translate that musically? I think Danny Elfman did a brilliant job. Yeah, and I guess, I guess I have a bit of a different interpretation, but this would be this could be interesting. Um, I think the and like just watching the movie over and over again. I've watched this movie so many times for this uh, episode, but um, I think that with great power comes great responsibility has a theme, which oh. is the. Da, 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 da. Uh, you know I'll, I'll have to give you that one i think because in the context of when i hear that bit that part does come later on yeah in that theme oh yeah for sure so, and, we're, and we're gonna get to that yeah. theme because uh, i i almost feel like it's a separate yet at the same time a related team yeah theme, and, so. and that's something that i really want to talk about is a lot, a lot of these themes are very much connected and very much kind of similar and i think that's on purpose because they're mm. meant to reflect different parts of peter, of peter yeah but in this particular case that's that and by the way, you're allowed to think this is... The, I'm not saying that my way is the best way at all. Uh, it's just my interpretation. No, I hear it. that. But the... Um, yeah, the, this this kind of four-note phrase, the... Da, 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 to me, it just, it's just... It, it's someone like reaching for greatness and, and kind of kind of trying really hard, which is just Peter in, in, in a in nutshell. Or at least the Tobey Maguire version. Yeah, just trying. He's just <laughs> trying. Um, so... With this main title, um, this theme gets used a lot in this film. Um, we're not going to listen to all of them, obviously. Um, but he especially uses it... He kind of just weaves it into almost every scene, but he especially uses it to kind of give you a sense of um, ter- just turmoil. Def- oh, yeah. Like, he he changes the harmony of it to to really give like give you that heart-wrenching kind of feeling. Um, and as we'll see in a second, we're going to look at um, kind of a connected um, two. I've connected two cues um, mm-hmm. that are kind of similar, so that uh, we don't have to listen to fifty thousand yeah. things. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, one of them is him walking past the posters after um, failing to get into the um, theater, and then he loses his powers and he falls down and. He goes down the elevator and that whole funny thing happens. You're just going to narrate the whole movie yes, at this I point. <laughs> uh, but he, he has his bike and he's walking along in front of uh, posters of Mary Jane Watson uh, and just being real sad. And then that transitions into... Oh, I think I do remember that scene. It's like 
the music is used to kind of aid the editing transition. Yeah, um, for sure. But but he uses the theme in there and you'll hear it. Um, and then the second, it kind of transitions into uh, the part where he rings MJ and tells, like, then hangs up the phone and he's like, I'm Spider-Man. Um, Damn, you're just spoiling this whole movie for... Hey, we're talking about this movie. If you've clicked on this <laughs> podcast and you haven't seen this movie, then something is wrong with you. It's like 16 years old. Watch it. <laughs> watch, watch it. beautiful and so you might you might have missed that first one um but essentially he's just kind of um modulating that melody to be really slow and changing the the harmony underneath to to be more dissonant and have more kind of tension about it um and so you'll hear it as like the kind of thing that goes and so he's kind of omitted the second note because yeah. it's a four note phrase i think yeah it is it is changed yeah. but it, I, 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 it in a good way you can still identify the crux of what the theme is and even with the second version he even has the i think it's a harp mm. that's kind of doubling it in a delayed way so that when the long note is playing on the strings you can then hear the harp kind of reaching the main kind of bit where it resolves to the final note and then the strings then finish off and come finish uh, you know complete the melody for a lack of a better word and it isn't this is a great example of using a main motif that was established in a heroic way but to transform it it's just it's a wagner 101 for sure yeah but i mean and that's that's what a good composer does really like i think subconsciously people aren't oh i mean consciously people aren't really going to know they're not going to be like, that's the Spider-Man theme. They're not going to be me sitting there going, oh my God, he's just used those notes. But I think it evokes that and it says, hey, this is Spider-Man, but he's not feeling that great at it's, the moment. It's theme association, like because it's it, it's inherently the same character, but the character is feeling something different. So I think next we'll go to uh, after he's lost his powers and he's gone through all that turmoil Um and mind you, this theme plays throughout the whole film. I'm just kind of selecting some some little parts. But uh, one of my favorite bits um, is when JJ has the suit in the thing and he's like, oh, my God, we've lost Spider-Man. I can't believe we've lost Spider-Man. Um, and then Spider-Man comes and steals his suit and swings towards Doc Ock. We get kind of a classic version of the theme built up from the ground up. And I think it's really interesting watching this theme kind of be built because it's kind of deconstructed, um, but it still kind of reminds me of Spider-Man 1, and I think you'll, you'll hear that. Mm-hmm. 
there's Danny, if there's one thing Danny Elfman can do, it's make swinging music because that's when he's swinging between the buildings. Like, how good? I think he can also just do choirs really well. Oh yeah, but it just feels so grand and yeah. so epic. But I really like that because I don't think the theme really comes up in an obvious way, but the harmony is there. Like, mm. if you can hear that, I think on a subconscious level and to the general layman, it's you can still identify it as something you've heard before. It's just fundamentally different. Yeah, and I I like that deconstruction of it because he's not fully come back yet. Like he's just yeah. he's only kind of just decided that he's going to come back, and so he's kind of putting himself together. And, and that's the theme is absolutely putting yeah. Together. I don't want to read too much into this, but I feel like the music is kind of pulling itself in together, uh, one by Just one as well. Layers on layers. And I really love like uh, that electronic yeah um, that bass. I'm gonna be honest. Like when I started hearing, I was like, that came out of nowhere, but it works really well. And I think what is not so evident is that there is a fair bit of electronics within the score certain side product maybe of it being in the early 2000s and carrying over some of the 90s stuff but it works to the film's effect and really well i will say yeah and i there's definitely less than there was in the first film i don't know if anyone remembers the first film but um he loves a good electronic uh drum kit um and we'll actually listen to this a bit later on because he tries to use it in the train scene that uh his cue of it that got rejected um but it's like this. <laughs> You'll know if you hear. It. Uh, don't make me do that again. Um, <laughs> but it, it sounds so weirdly out of place. But and and kind of, I'm kind of glad that he didn't use it again because it kind of dates it. Like if you listen to the first, if you watch the first film, you kind of go, "Oh wow, this is a '90s moment," I would say. But um, I like it like that because it's unique and it doesn't it doesn't try to be anything else other than what it is. Yeah, I think that's true. And again, they were also, it was still the early 2000s. They were chasing trends. Mm. We still, we do that now as well with our own film music and stuff. So that's just the inevitable part of being in this kind of business, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he is very good with the choir, isn't it? Like, isn't he? Like, he manages to hit those soaring kind of highs. Um, yeah. I think that's just, it's a very gothic way to score it yeah it is very gothic isn't it yeah. and i you know being good friends with the the burden yeah just he knows what's up now these there's one more kind of um spider-man theme variation that i want to oh, yeah. yep. show you um actually i think two more but we'll get to that in a little bit but basically how he weaves it into action music um so we're going to take a, a clip from the bank scene um and he just knows Danny Elfman's very good at just weaving in different themes whenever he wants and just kind of just, I don't know, leaving it there. Because if you... There is also Dark Ox theme, and we haven't played that. I'm yep. pretty sure we will at some point. But it's really strange because that theme resolves only to then immediately pick up the Spider-Man theme. Mm. But it's not disjointed, or it doesn't sound disjointed to me. It sounds like a natural progression. It's you know, it's that thing where two characters are fighting, and they both have two separate themes. 
those themes should be playing off each other just like how each character is i think it's an example of when it that happens in the film up by michael giacchino the point is is that in this version doc ock's theme is playing against peter parker's theme which is an excellent outstanding job and stands to what michael said about how the themes are woven really more nicely I think Danny Elfman is just part of that class of composer, especially film composers like John Williams. Uh, not that I'm saying he's as good as John Williams. Cause the, at this point, I don't think anyone is as good. Dude's 80-something, and yeah, he's. I don't think he has a lot left, though. Wow. Let's, we, we'll keep, it, we'll keep this podcast a bit lighter than that. We won't have any of this negativity about John Williams because I will not accept that anybody dies at all. Not him. <laughs> Not him. Uh, but yeah, he's just part of that class of composer, uh, like Bernard Herrmann, who can take a theme and literally use it anywhere. For it any is purpose. all about that light motif. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which Not like a Hans Zimmer who's kind of all about uh, mood and textures and rhythm. It, having said that, and that'll be its own episode, Hans used to be that school of light motifs. Yeah. He has since changed. Whether better or not, that'll be in another episode. <laughs> Uh, but yes, it is just a different style of composing yeah. where you have a theme for each character. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I definitely gravitate towards because I love my melodies and I love my memorable themes. You know, I Howard Shore from Lord of the Rings and yes, John Williams from Star Wars. Um, and to me, that just makes more sense. Just, But that's also a very old school way of doing things. Yeah. Admittedly. Um, so I have one more Spider-Man theme, but it's not by uh, Danny Elfman. I thought it'd be interesting to have a look at how uh, Christopher Young deals with Spider-Man's theme in this, because there is a part of the train sequence, and we're not going to have a look at um, Christopher Young's um, train cue, but there is one moment where he actually uses a theme. I think I know what. I think I know. Because what for the rest about. of the time, he doesn't really use themes, which is kind of odd, but he does use it, and I just want to get your thoughts on on how this feels to you. Sounds like someone trying to be Danny Elfman. Or it sounds someone ashamed to quote the Spider-Man theme. <laughs> yeah. But this um, is my like... favorite part. And, and by favorite, I mean, I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's great, but the, it's the little tappy snare. It's like, and it just, it's so, it's almost like Boy Scouty. That falls with the trope of action scenes that it has to be just percussive, rhythmic, not necessarily melodic. You know, at the start, before the main theme is quoted, you can tell, like, this is action music through and through. Yeah. Disposable, easy stuff. Um, and then, of course, he then plays his, the theme, but it's fast. It's in a, it's in a rush, it feels. Yeah. You know? he, kind of, he kind of gets onto it and then leaves straight away. Um, and, I mean, just to give some context, here is um, the beginning of that cue to just get, give a sense of what yeah. that sounds like. Uh, and I think that's, I think it's cool. I think it's good. I think it suits the scene, but it it's, doesn't sound much like the rest of the film, which no. I think is a, you know. Um, you, if you're listening for it, it won't sound like it. Now to, of course, the average audience member, it's action music. 
it serves its purpose it gets you excited it hits all the right notes but to us (laughs) to to us who are just the above average audience (laughs) we're better than everybody (laughs) (laughs) um it does sound like it's a bit removed from the main acoustic landscape that danny elfman had woven and and at the end of the day i'm sure christopher young was on a tight schedule and was just doing the best he could and nobody nobody's saying that he did we may be we may sound like we're criticizing or giving it a hard time but generally the work that these guys have done you know, is truly amazing. What what we do, what we have done, pales in comparison to them. Well, yeah, let's not bring up what we've done. Yeah. Uh, One film for me. <laughs> so that was the Spider-Man theme. Now, obviously, that, that goes on. And Danny Elfman, just as I said, weaves it through every scene. It'd be impossible to do the whole thing without um, listening to the whole movie. Uh, but let's move on to Mary Jane's theme, kind of romance theme slash... Love theme. Love theme kind of thing. Uh, so let's let's get an idea of what uh, that sounds like. actually think i played the wrong clip but that is still the theme it's still still relevant uh that is actually from the end of the movie uh that i didn't mean to and a spider-man 2 and a spider-man 2 yeah um that's when she's like isn't it time someone saved your life Um, then the go get him tiger go get him tiger and then it, it, it evolves from there but I mean, I think that's apparent that you can still kind of tell that's the theme. Uh, and you can also kind of tell that it exists within the world of Danny Elfman's music. Yeah. Um, let's let's go to something that's more outright, and then we'll discuss. So again, Danny Elfman doesn't really want to give it to you outright. Uh, and I think that's what's hard about finding a cue that just says, this is MJ's theme, or this is the love theme or romance theme, because he doesn't want to give it to you all. And I think that's indicative of the movie. Because well, I assume that it's playing at a scene when 
their their love or whatever is not fully requited or it's kind of like when they're it's that you know those scenes where they tell me I slouch too much don't that kind of dialogue way I, I don't remember it but <laughs> oh I want to hear the whole movie just played by you Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the, the idea is that in the film and even Spider-Man 1 and most of Spider-Man 2 Peter pines for MJ MJ kind of dicks him around a couple of times really is that how you view it I think sometimes it is like especially when um, you reckon, but isn't I think it at the same time, at the same time, at the end of Spider-Man One, he dicks her around too. When she's like, "I want to be with you," he's like, "Nah, I'm good." Either way, I don't think they're that good for each other anyway. It's a, but, it's, it's a fairly toxic relationship. But I mean, in this movie, especially, Peter says, "I'm good now. I want to be with you." And then, oops, no, I'm not. I don't want to be with you. And then, oops, I do want to be with you, but I can't be with you. Oh, yeah, he's definitely the. I do. He's that definitely means- the the dick in this although like okay maybe she doesn't dick him around but she dicks around the person that she's engaged to <laughs> she, uh, she tries to recreate the, the spider-man and, kiss with and her then, future husband and then uh, when it's not exactly as it was she's like nah I'm- i've got to go kiss peter now <laughs> uh that's yeah this is good <laughs> the, the movie loves relationships clearly it's it's a good movie still yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so you're exactly right. Like it, it kind of fulfills that whole thing of like Peter not quite being able to to get it. And I guess to me, just to put it out there, like the theme to me is that kind of do 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 do. Is that the main theme? That's what I mean. If we look at this close enough, it's essentially the Spider-Man theme, but with different harmony and a different rhythm. You just blew my mind. I know, right? All of these themes are very cl- tied closer together. And at first I kind of thought, well, maybe it's just the Spider-Man theme. But I think it's the main bit of it, kind of the motif bit, is the chords underneath it going, do, do, like the kind of rising the, chords. That same kind of movement or the the interval essentially between them. It it does feel like they're using the same building blocks, just arranged in a different way. To create something new. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, this is Peter's life still. Um, so, it is, so it's still related to Peter. So the, it makes sense for why the theme should also be produced from the original. I mean, this is just simply it's smart composing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, easier for him because he doesn't have to uh, gotta, write as much. Compose smart, not compose hard. Yeah. And let, let's listen to it again. And I, like try and focus on that melody and the rising chords with that. Yep.
I just looked over. <laughs> I just looked over at Zim uh, when that that chord came yeah. in, and it was like a stinky face. <laughs> and I love that chord because of it. And and so this scene, I think this is the one I first meant to play because it oh, yeah. kind of outright plays the theme a little bit. But this is when he sees uh, MJ with her new boyfriend. That bastard. Um, after the theatre. Um, and the themes outright played on that low woodwind. I don't want to say what it is because... Bassoon? I don't, I don't think it's deep enough to oboe? be the suit. Maybe an oboe. I think um, it it's not a oboe. clarinet or a flute. Yeah, I think it's not... Yeah, I, I can't... Be, I'm not great at... Unless identifying there are other woodwinds, which I'm sure there are, <laughs> I just don't know them. I'm not. I'm not great at identifying woodwinds per se. But we but can identify that it is indeed a woodwind. Yeah, absolutely. And so the theme kind of does that do do do, and then the strings come in with I the, think the do do do. The string chord has that first two kind of notes off in the main theme, which the main theme and goes bum bum. Pitch wise, I'm not getting it, but yeah, yeah. in the, the they're using those two notes as chords within the string of the MJ theme to kind of have that movement upwards yeah. and then kind of leaving that kind of floating almost before coming back to it again and then kind of doing the same movement up. Which yeah. I thought was pretty neat. And that and that cue kind of builds up first and, and has a bit of a I don't know whether to call it an A section or a B section, but that, that first bit of that clip um kind of plays a lot before MJ's theme actually comes in or at least that's the way I'm interpreting it it could all be MJ's theme who knows but um they're all kind of they're kind of paired together a lot as well and I just love that chord that comes in with the the dissonant note straight in as Peter real like it's usually I think it's just about when the police car comes back in front of his vision and he realizes I'm Spider-Man I can't do this what am I doing god I just must suck to be (laughs) Spider-Man I just want to quickly play one more. Yeah, go on. Um, because this theme is you in the first film it's used almost exclusively for MJ. In this film, they kind of just use it for his general love life and and stuff like that. Although in the film's defense, his love life in the first two films is basically MJ. Well, yeah, but when I'm I, I don't mean love life because I'm about to play a thing where uh, Aunt May is um telling essentially telling peter hey you should be a hero again um oh. because um jackson down the streets helping her move and is like where's spider-man and i'm like shut up fucking little shit like he's trying to live his life um but yeah so they put they use this theme again while she is while she's giving him, him the speech the i'll call it the alfred speech yeah absolutely and this is from the movie so you'll hear the speech yeah. as well oh brilliant and finally allows us to die with pride. Even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. Spider-Man did that for Henry and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. I actually think that's really smart composing because the main theme shows up on the word dreams like that's the hit point. Mm. And of course, Peter's dream is to be with MJ or whatever. You've got a good point. I didn't actually think of that. I'm not quite sure whether they meant to do that, but maybe they did. If this is a happy coincidence and also, damn, Aunt May is the proto-Alfred. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. (laughs) 
I guess my based on what Danny Elfman's done the rest of this movie, I would assume that the theme would be the Peter Parker Spider-Man theme. But at the same time, we've just discussed the MJ theme is essentially the Peter Parker theme. Well, the romance theme is essentially the Peter Parker theme. So maybe I'm, they're just they're subtly kind of. I mean, I'm more inclined it. to believe that it is a conscious effort on the filmmakers and the composers' part to put MJ's theme there because it evokes a, that thing. That it it yeah. is, but also. In the film and what we just heard, I'm Aunt May. Sorry, sorry, I almost said said MJ. I was like, no. <laughs> Aunt May is talking about how a hero gave up their own personal dreams or whatever to be a symbol of hope or whatever. No, sorry, symbol of hope is more Nolan Batman. But the point is, personal dreams were given up, and right at that point where she says the words "dreams," you hear the MJ theme properly, or that that very. Um, Icon, not iconic, but memorable melodic contour, yeah. and you know it's in the subtext, but it's also pretty blatantly obvious that Peter's dream is MJ. He yeah. basically spends the whole movie whining and pining about it. So, so let's move on. We've we've stayed on MJ's theme for a while, but let's take a look at uh, what I call the responsibility thing. Okay. Uh, we'll take a look at it from the main titles because that's the place where it shows up most prominently uh, and then we'll discuss afterwards. that electric bass again i love it i love it so much i'm just loving them semi-quaver ostinatos yeah i mean that's the thing isn't it like whenever spider-man is around they he always wants to use that arpeggio that but this one's more because this one is the more restrained it goes with like you said the first original arpeggios it's a very more energetic this one it's it's moving in a downward fashion right um it's resolving to something it's supposed to building up to something yeah which then supplements the main the motif of the responsibility theme yeah. which is kind of declamatory notes right it's called it's almost an you know the antithesis of the building up reaching out which yeah i think i was incorrect in my first assessment and that the first theme was the the embodiment of the responsibility or the statement. It is this theme because it is that kind of grounding you back into it. Yeah, you have reached out with all this power, but pump the brakes, kid. Yeah, you gotta... you're totally right. It's kind of like that. the first part's that rise. And then this is like the, all right, come on. Like this yeah. is, you've got to do stuff don't, with this. Don't now. fly too close to the sun, Icarus kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. And, that, and that's what I get from this the most is that it, it kind of, this one's more almost resolution-y, yeah. but it doesn't, it feels so bittersweet. Like it feels so like dutiful, like because... That, that's the word, dutiful, Because yes. they're using, if we're talking instrumentation-wise, I think there is a shift to more brass elements, mm. which makes it sound more, I guess... It also um, sounds, brass has always been identified with heroics yeah. or heroism. Um, so you have that 
nobility in there, but there's a sad nobility in yeah. it. Which I think the sadness is by the notes picked and yeah. the contour, but the heroism is cause of the instrument. Yeah. Um and so you'll you'll notice throughout the film and if you if you have a um if you remember that that theme before it goes into the kind of dun, 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 dun. before that it does like a do 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 um you don't necessarily hear the full statement of this theme throughout the film except for the end of the film you hear the Du, 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 du. I thought that was the villain's theme. No. No. no, no. It sounds like the. Well, I might just be hearing it wrong, though. We'll we'll have a listen, and because yeah. uh, I'm I'm definitely not singing it right. But he kind of alludes to the responsibility theme, I guess, because the responsibility theme is so kind of big. You it, just want to. I don't see that being a simple way to put that into the rest of the film in the way that it is stated. Yeah. Because the first film was always was about him grasping with responsibility. The second film like it deals with that but not in the same way because Peter is responsible but then he loses his powers. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's accepted his responsibility but now he's like Oh, I want to do all this stuff, but yeah. my responsibility is holding me back. So it's kind of this. I think they struggle. Could, I'm sure if they had more time, which of course we're going to discuss that soon, if they had more time and less of a rift, they would have done that. Maybe Elfman did do that. Oh no, I think I think it was very much on purpose, and I kind of like what they did because it's very subtle. As a, most things, like consciously, you probably wouldn't hear it. Um, but I think it definitely evokes the the responsibility theme. It's like, hey, Peter, remember responsibility, but without like fully going, I feel responsible. Well, you know? with, the, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's very apparent in cues like the mugging scene where he walks by and sees this guy getting mugged, but he doesn't have his powers anymore. Or he's not Spider-Man anymore. Instead, he continues to eat his hot dog. <laughs> Like the Philistine that he is. Yeah, I mean, there's other things you can do, Peter. Go to the, the police or something. But let's have a look at the mugging scene. And you'll just, I think, if I'm correct, which I could have got the wrong one again, but if I'm correct, you'll just hear the do, 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 do. So I, I lied to you, Zim. That was a combined cue as well that I forgot about. Uh, the second part of that was when he's um, telling Aunt May about Uncle Ben's death. Well, that is an ice-cold Pepsi twist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, I heard that first part of the responsibility theme. And the second part doesn't resolve. It doesn't yeah. resolve to the conclusion, which... It's uh, a great chord, though. It it's is. Da, 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 da. And it's like... Resolve to do it, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's a great use of that theme, I think, yep, because 
I can, you know, if I seriously look at this film, which I had to, like, but if I'm just watching, I don't really notice that. But if I seriously have a look, like, I'm instantly reminded of what comes next. And in the first bit, they kind of give you a little taste. It goes, do, 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 do. and then it finishes and you're like oh no like i didn't quite get there and i think it's just it's an interrupted way of doing that like because peter feels the need to be responsible he feels that responsibility but he's not quite doing everything he could well i mean at that point in the film like you said he's without his powers so while he does feel the need to he also knows he doesn't have to anymore because he doesn't have that great power well i but does he? Ha- do, do well, at that point, I don't at know. At that point, yeah, I don't know. But I guess, I guess the, I'm reaching a bit deeper than this film probably is. But mm. I think he's struggling with the fact that even if he doesn't have the powers, you still have a moral obligation. Yeah. as the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, said. absolutely. Um, he he's realized he just loves helping people. I guess. What a what a good Samaritan. Except for that guy who was getting mugged, he just walks away and keeps eating his hot dog. Well, it was a New York hot dog, so <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I really love the use of that that theme in there, um, and it really evokes that kind of um, yeah, like we said, Judy kind of based thinking, and and it's for lack of a better word, is uncharacteristically Spider Man. Oh no, sorry, characteristically Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my got my words mixed up. Yep, we have JJ a uh, JJ Abrams. <laughs> JJ, <laughs> we have JJ Abrams in this film. Um, we have J Jonah Jameson. Um, just before that, that um, Spider-Man theme I showed earlier with the awesome electric bass, where he steals when the suit he back. back yeah. We get a brief mention of this theme when he's talking about how much he misses Spider-Man and stuff like that. All right, play it. left you hanging there didn't i i know but (laughs) i liked it i think when i was playing on the woodwinds the main part it felt too quick to me but i like those really long lingering sweeping stuff very like old age stuff yeah i think at the time he's talking as well so i think it's just meant to evoke that it's almost a very sad mournful version that that's um, true that Oh no, Spider! Spider! Who's going to be responsible for us now? I'm just trying to use responsibility in any way <laughs> I can. Uh, but yeah, like, who's going to do this now? Oh no, like, I've lost my son's future wife. I don't think is it in that part. Yeah, it's when he's standing in the newsroom. MJ's been kidnapped. Oh, and he's that's like, right, that's and he's right. like, oh, I wish Spider-Man were here. Oh no, I chased him out of the town, and then he steals the suit back. He's like, oh, he's a menace. <laughs> and then. He returns for Spider-Man. Far From Home. Yes, he does, which is great. I love that. Spoilers for Far From Home. Spoilers for everything. Spoilers for life. Yep. Plot, the plot twist. You die. <laughs> uh, we're a bit morbid on this podcast. We're a fun crowd. So let's do one more main theme. Uh, the villain theme. Ugh, the Dark Ark theme. The one new theme for Spider-Man 2, if I'm correct. Yes, oh. I think it is. I think it's the one new theme. There might be some little things here and there, but it's the one main theme that's new, I guess. It's yep. And we'll have discussion about the nature of sequels and themes later.
again, left you hanging. You wanted that resolution. I didn't give it to you, Zim. How do you feel? Well, it seems like you're not satisfying a lot of things. <laughs> Nor anyone listening, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do you? What do you? What do you think about that theme? I that's I, from the main titles, by is. the way. And I do actually really like it. I think it's quite evocative of what Dark Ock becomes and what he stands for. It's still very. It's a classic Elfman theme. Yep. It is. I think if I were to take all the themes out of Spider-Man and put them in a burden film, that one theme. It's a lot like the Beetlejuice theme. It's a lot like Pee-wee's sermon. It's got that energy. It's got that brass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's As all villain themes basically have been for superhero movies, villains-wise, it's got the low brass notes. Yeah. You know, it, it, it works. And there's a reason why it works. It's just really effective. Um, well, I would have liked to have had a bit more subtlety to convey the more sympathetic nature of the character. It Which still functions quite nicely. I think we get to that. I th- oh, I, do we? I think with the main, the main, main titles. I think we get it's the it's the it's the, the most statements. Yeah, it's, it's the most of what they can be yeah. because that I don't think ever actually comes up in the movie the way that I is. think no. We get that climb, the bum, 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 yeah. bum, bum, bum. We get those elements, but yeah. we never get all of that together yeah. as one. So I think this is, honestly, this is like his credits music because um, in these Spider-Man films, because it's mid or like early, early 2000s, 2000s, we get a pop song at the end. Licensed rock song at the music. End. Yeah. Um, Should do an episode on the Suicide Squad. <laughs> let's not. Maybe if David Ayer releases his cut. Well, if the Snyder can do it, anything's possible. Oh no, watch! I won't watch either. I lie. I will. Hashtag release the AR cut. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, let's let's have a look at where that theme kind of goes now. Yep. Uh, what um what scene does this theme play in so within the film? First of all, we get um the theme mainly first kind of comes in after uh the queue uh, after the scene called Doc Ock is born. Um, and it's when right, it's the okay. horror scene. And I mean, during our test run, we had a look at the, the, the fact that the music in that scene, there was, re- there was music was written there. It. it was rejected. And honestly, I think it was probably for the better because that scene is really good, silent. And like, if you haven't seen that, f- that scene, it's one of the most horrifying scenes in the movie. Well, I think but it's not like a, a gory sense. It's Sam Raimi going back to his horror roots. Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely se- seems like something that could could have come out of the 80s or something. Yeah. And um, It's that kind of weird body horror. Yeah, kind of and thing. there's there's fingernails coming off on the floor. and But not in a R-rated way, in a PG-13 way. <laughs> yeah, um, really horrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, but Gr- the sound design is really great, so I can understand wanting to kind of do that. And we won't have a look at the music that Danny wrote for that, but Danny, I know him. Uh, do you? Danny, he's D- my friend. Good old Danny. Danny boy. Danny boy. Um, but we'll have a look at what happens afterwards. So he put, takes off the mask and he's like, no. And you'll hear that moment because he literally... Like, did he, he Darth Vader's it. He literally did a musical no. <laughs> And I, I remember the the arms also screech as well, don't they? It's yeah, in the yeah, sound yeah. design, isn't it? Yeah. I actually think now that you've said that, that's definitely a, like when, when did Revenge of the Sith come out? Like the year later, two thousand five. Who copied who? <laughs> because that actually seems like the same thing. Did Darth Vader do that in the original trilogy? The no. Yeah. 
No, I don't think he ever did. That's not, no, because Luke, Luke did. But yeah, I guess it runs in the family. Yeah, but that's so weird because they're they're pretty similar. Like the no. Anyway, you'll hear the musical no. It's very great. the end there we get a little bit more complexity yeah i think that's the first that weird kind of is that mo- that little melodic phrase is not heard again my memory probably not no yeah it's more of just like a little bit of a flourish. transition kind of like but yeah how good is that i love the percussion they sound like sticks or something mm. when they're building up to the musical note it sounds to like, me dun. <laughs> I, when it did, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of like a march almost. Yeah, like a, a, a almost funereal-ish kind of march. Well, I mean, the rhythm for yeah. the um, Doc Ock theme is like. But this one's like really slowed down. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's it's a very menacing theme. Um, it's very. But it also be. I think at the beginning it is quite somber. And mournful, and a bit of, like the character, horrified as well. Well, it's a bit of a what have I done? Yeah. When what the, have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Uh, we're talking about Anakin <laughs> when he and kills. his ten-second turn to the dark side. <laughs> when he kills Padme for no reason. In case it thinks... hasn't been evident, while we are talking about Spider-Man, we are big, big Star Wars fans. Yep. There will be references a lot. For example, I just brought it up. Michael just brought up J.J. Abrams, who he has a complicated relationship with. Look, I don't, I, 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 J.J.'s fine. He made The Force Awakens. That's good. What else did he make, man? I Lost. <laughs> Is that good? You know. <laughs> I know. You know. I know. I choose not to, though. Um, but, I, but we digress. Yes. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it's very... Again, it's just a testament to um, Elfman's kind of ability to make things malleable. Like yeah. when we first heard it in the in the main titles, it's like this kind of militant, very... Very oppressive. Yeah, just very like, oh, I'm a bad guy. But, but now we're kind he's, of... He's transformed it for the, the scene that's at hand, which is essentially and when they film it i when you see it it's a very almost frankenstein's monster-esque kind of thing yeah absolutely that's a that's a great yeah. uh great thing now so we have a choice here uh during my i've done a lot of i've done a fair bit of prep for this episode by a fair bit he means obsessive but continue <laughs> <laughs> but i i actually mean in the in the, i've done a fair bit of prep uh for the like audio files for this but oh, i yeah. have somehow have managed to slip up 
and there is just two uh, audio files left called audio one and audio two. Now they're both docock. Which one do you want first? Because I don't know which one is which. I'm just gonna throw convention to the wind and say audio two. Okay, let's. Hopefully that means it's in order. I mean, one would assume. So let's see where Danny Elfman takes this theme next. That's the bank scene. Called it. Yeah. Um, although I think it cut off the start for some reason. Let's. Unless audio one has the start <laughs> and is the back. <laughs> I think I named audio one. I think I named oh, that you? one. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't name the other ones for some reason. Uh, but yes, I love that cue. Um, it to me it didn't it wasn't so obvious that it was his theme. Well, yeah, it, it's a kind of different thing, but I love that kind of doom da doom da doom da doom Which da. is very camp, and <laughs> that is very that is very playful and yeah. campy, and which is ultimately what those films were about. And while that part is campy, it has the intonations of Doc Ock's theme, that almost militant, yeah, kind of descriptor that you were using. And actually, I think it has a bit of the second half. I don't like. I don't know if you could. Um, you could hear, hear a little bit. Like in, it's on the offbeat kind mm. of thing. Uh, it's a weird way of writing that, but I kind of like it. Elfman's um, a weird dude. <laughs> he is a weird dude. Now let's let's see what audio two or audio three is. Uh, and by the way, while I'm lining this up, I I bought uh, Spider Man one, two, and three on Apple TV. Whoa! Um, just in case I didn't pirate it. Sony, I didn't pirate it. This is a plug for Sony and for Apple I'm just, TV. I'm just, I don't want them to take our episode down. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Or sue us. We're starting out. Um, and I bought the soundtrack, so... Oh, this dude's a legend. I know. All right, let's check out Audio 3. All right. Okay, so this is the demonstration, demonstration yeah. yeah. And Christopher Young did this one. Did he? Now, I I think in our test run, I accused Christopher Young of not using any of Elfman's themes. Yeah. And I think it's wrong because I didn't realize at first, in the choruses, he uses the... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And, I mean, it's only that. But, but I actually, feel like... He's mastered the choir as well pretty well in that track. Like, almost very... It, does sound very Elfman-esque. Well, yeah, I think it lends itself for in Spider-Man Three when it goes very choir dominant. Like uh, half that score is choir. Now, are we going to discuss the behind-the-scenes oh, you know drama? Hang on. No, you got more. I think I have more. But how about how about this? How about we talk a little bit about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And then I've got some miscellaneous cues that we haven't got to yet that if anybody is still listening, they can keep listening. Yeah. Um, and if not, 
then we'll just enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, ourselves. Well, this has been fun for us, so <laughs> we hope it's fun for you. And if it hasn't been fun for you, that's okay. fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, people like different things. Yeah, but um, you know what? Everyone's an ISO. You need stuff. To, you need content. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, people like different things. Uh, Sam Raimi did not like Danny Elfman, and Danny Elfman did not like Sam Raimi. Did no, you like they, that segue? You know, like akin to Cap and Iron Man, they fell out hard. Well, I mean, with Cap and Iron Man, they fought a little and then they kissed and made up. Made up. Yeah, but um, up, it took, like with Cap and Iron Man, it took a while before and this is a great marvel analogy by the way <laughs> but i think you have the um actual interview up yeah i do um so essentially what what is what's happened is um well i mean we can we can let danny elfman tell you but um i mean i implore you to actually look at the article this is from games radar games radar in yes 2005 i will link it in the description um but essentially, Danny Elfman had a terrible time on Spider-Man 2 and let everybody know about it. Um, we'll look at this first and then we'll discuss. So the article says, I mean, he says, I'm not working on Spider-Man 3. I'm out of that. I won't miss not doing it. I don't know what, I don't know if that's a misquote or not, but I don't know if that actually makes sense. But uh, Spider-Man 2 was a miserable experience. It's like my connection with Sam got completely severed. As far as I'm concerned, he went to sleep. Somebody put in a pod next to him, and when he awoke, he wasn't the same person I'd known for a decade. Uh, but he's not done. He went from right there, number two on my list of favorite directors, to the exact opposite of what I look for in a film experience. Everything I could do on Spider-Man 1, I couldn't do on Spider-Man 2. He got so intensely attached to the music that I couldn't even adapt my own music close enough. It's the first time I've ever walked away from a director in 20 years. I'd rather go back to waiting tables than do Spider-Man 2 again to have to have, to have the same experience. Wow. That is some scorched earth policy oh, right yeah. there. That, that was from 2005, so a year after that movie came out. Uh, and Danny Elfman was pissed. Yeah, and I think in any kind of scenario with um, a film composer and a director, this experience that Elfman has brings us back to a contentious point around film composers, and that is temp score. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially what this article is alluding to, what Danny Elfman is alluding to, is that Sam Raimi uh, did this thing called temp scoring. Now, what temp scoring is, is... uh, before, like during the edit process, they'll put out maybe, it depends on the size of the film. I've been on films before where they've done five, six edits of the film before they've got to the final cut. Uh, but some big budget productions would go through a lot. Now, if you're going to ask a composer to compose for every single cut of, the, of those films, it's going to be very expensive and it's going to be very annoying. Amen. Yeah. So... What the director usually does is use previously established music um, to temporarily score the film themselves, so they can see what it would what it would sound like. Um, and that's generally a good idea, or like it can be a good idea. It's, it's a good idea for directors. Yes, it's a good communication tool to literally everyone else in the filmmaking process except the composer. And here's where the problem starts. Because while it's very useful for everyone in the filmmaking process, a composer is there to compose 
ideally original music. However, with Tem scoring, you can get into the practice of the director's like, here's the music, can you mimic this? Yeah. And then it gets even more more troublesome when they're like, I'm really attached to this. Yo, I think that's where the problem lies, is when people get too attached to it. I think it can be helpful for the, the composer. A lot of the time it's not, but it can be. I've had experiences where the director didn't know how to communicate with me what they wanted, and then they were able to describe to me what they wanted by using existing music. And although they, um, it could have been bad because I could have had to copy that exactly, the director was like, no, 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 you can do kind of whatever you want, but generally this is what I want. It, it, it needs to, you need a skilled director and a skilled composer to kind of navigate through that difficult conversation to be had. Yeah. Because especially with directors, this isn't just a, a new thing that's happened. But, you know, this is also happened way back in the 70s when the first Alien movie, when Ridley Scott got very attached to the temp score, that Jerry Goldsmith had to kind of work around that as well. So it's been a process that's been around for quite a while in terms of the filmmaking history. Um, and you can get um, examples like... Yeah. Uh, let me just look up the composer for this so I don't... Um, what's, what's the film? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, essentially, with this film, they temp scored it. They had a composer, um, and I can't even look it up. It's just got the classical composers. That's really good. So, essentially, this composer had written entire score for 2001, but the director, Stanley Kubrick, had, had temped it with all this classical music. The bum, bum, <laughs> um, So... That's what you hear in the film. They didn't tell him until the premiere night. So he turns up expecting to... At least this is what I think I know. He turns up to the premiere expecting to hear his score. And then he hears something completely different. Stanley Kubrick didn't tell him. <laughs> well, to be fair, Kubrick was a dick. Oh, yeah. Not many people liked him. <laughs> like, you can be a visionary and still be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, look. Temp score. Is it bad? Is it good? Depends on the person. You um, need to navigate that with a little bit of tact and skill. And as apparently Sam Raimi, as a lot of composers have found out apparently, um did he not did he did not communicate well enough. You know, Danny Elfman had a horrid time on the score. That's why the score kind of sounds very similar to the first one if we're being honest, but um there's only one new theme which is Dark Ox theme and ideally with every good sequel which develops the story, pushes new ideas, new characters etc the music should be doing that as well yeah in my own opinion at least but i guess you know if you're looking at something like star wars the <laughs> themes <laughs> the themes come back oh, but yeah. john williams always tries to push it a little bit further like if we're looking at the godfather of all sequels and not godfather part two i'm talking about empire strikes back although the godfather part two is the godfather part two of all sequels yep yeah <laughs> kind of walked into that one but you know, with Empire Strikes Back, you've got Yoda's theme, you know, the Imperial March. Just, you know, those themes are the most iconic themes. And they were in the second movie, not in the first one. Yeah. So, you know. So, what I kind of want to do now is just look at some of the miscellaneous stuff that I didn't get to um, at first. Yep. What I want to do is listen to a little bit of 
Elfman's train sequence. Now we had a, did we have a little look? We had a little bit. Remember when we were talking about how the main theme was kind of rushed in there? Yeah. So you know you've got that um you've got that Christopher Young theme that the train scene, um, that's actually thrown back into the bank. So not only did Elfman get his cues entirely replaced. He got some um, cues needle dropped in in the middle. So in his bank um, cue, they largely used it. But I actually really like that music that he's composed, but it is a lot more generic than Danny Elfman did. And you can listen to Danny Elfman's entire bank cue. And I do think that Young's um, does add a little bit of energy, but in terms of thematic content, there's hardly any, basically nothing. And I think Elfman has released his cues for, you know, consumption. Yeah. So you can always try and find it online and take a listen to that. And if you wanted to, just like how Michael did it, look, watch the film, listen yeah. to, compare it, maybe think there's a conspiracy. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, we're gonna we're gonna do it together right now. Oh. Uh, we're just gonna have a little this listen, a taste, little listen of Elfman's train cue. Um, not all of it, but just a little bit, yep. because I think it's quite interesting in that I think Young's fits better, but mm. Elfman's thematic content is apparent. You'll notice he throws in the Spider-Man theme whenever he gets a chance, and he, rather than that little bit that Young threw in that we showed earlier, just that little bit. Um, but yeah, let's have a listen. Electric bass is back, baby, <laughs> and the electric drums from the first movie. I did admit that was um, it kind of caught me off guard at first, but it is a nice, interesting new flavor and to the scene. Almost every bar, there's like that. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but I think I would agree that it probably, if you look at the visuals, Young's fits maybe just a fractionally better. I think it's got a bit more energy. Yeah. Although I'm a sucker for thematic stuff, so. Yeah. I lean towards the Elfman, but from an objective standpoint, well, it's hard to talk objectively about something that's so inherently subjective. Mm. So at the end of the day, you know, feel free to take a listen to yourself, put the movie up, watch it and be like, what fits better? So we've got the Green Goblin comes back in this film. Spoilers. Well, as in uh, we get the imagery of the Green Goblin. Um, So we get a little kind of reprise of the Green Goblin theme.
That has got to be one of like the longest villain themes. Yeah, of that's all time. a long ass <laughs> theme. And it like in that entire cue, it only repeats twice. <laughs> I think the the first few notes are the more like the the interval opening interval is the like, more iconic part. Because then after that, it kind of just gets lost in this kind of weird melodic contour. That I'm just kind of like. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that kind of is that because he's kind of a bit manic, and that is true. He's that is a bit, true. Yep. He's a bit all over the place. But I think what I've also just noticed is the intervals are a lot smaller in this. So mm. Spider Man, you've got a lot of kind of force and fits yep. jumps because they're heroic and and everything like that. But with this, you've got a lot of like chromatic kind of mm. movement and like well, like I think even with horror stuff in general, chromatics for some reason they elicit a uncomfortable response in us so it's kind of like the composer's kind of hijacking way to to our primal needs let's 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 slowly try to wrap this up i've got one more piece of music we might end on it because it's my favorite thing in the whole movie this is high praise because you love a lot of things about this movie well i love a lot of things about this movie but i think everybody what's the one thing that what's the moment you wait for and this is going to backfire because it won't be the yeah. same. Are you talking? I don't. It's been a while since I've seen Spider Man Two. You've just watched the whole movie, and you're like, "Oh no, the movie's ending!" And then he runs away from NJ, and he get the classic swinging through the city, and right. the, the chorus comes in, and it's glorious, and it's the end of the film, and you're like, "Just Danny Elfman goes, have it, just yeah. have it all." Um, is, am I wrong? Is it? I don't know. I think the. For me, there's a lot of i there's important iconographies within the um with the movie. You know, the him stopping the train. Oh well, yeah, yeah. The the Jesus pose on the train. <laughs> you know, those are the images that kind of come to my the mind. Constipation face. Yeah, because unfortunately, with every Spider-Man medium, he's always swinging through a building. I know, but those at the you know at the, the very formula end. the formula Raimi had of having that last two minutes of just just him, him swinging swinging and yeah. that kind of allowed he's allowed to feel happy for yeah. once. Well, that's what um the mcu spidey is now doing in far from home as well so they're kind of actually they've literally taken the last two minutes from the yeah. reapers be like here we'll Except- even throw in J. jonah jameson from those films as well yeah um so how, how have you enjoyed this sim we're, we're kind of at the end of the line now we've visited all the themes we've talked about everything i think we've talked about important stuff um relating to this films um this is a great kind of way to introduce some of the main kind of topics about the process of film scoring as well. And we've touched on, I think, what is ultimately the most important thing, I think at least, when you're working on a film as a composer, it is the relationship between the director and a composer. And we can see how easily frayed it can be. Yeah. And without a lack of communication or anything or something like that, just like any other relationship, it can fall apart very quickly. But you'll be pleased to know that Danny Elfman did reconnect with Sam Raimi. Ten years later. Ten years later. Um, doing Oz the Great and Powerful. Yep. I've seen that movie. Make of that what you will. And there are movie. rumors that Sam Raimi will return to the superhero films with doing Doctor Strange 2. I'd actually love it if if Danny if Elfman did Elfman. it. I think Elfman would. Because Elfman has already done an MCU film. He did Age oh, of Ultron. Yeah, he did. I I mean, it's not great that I didn't remember that. No, it's like, it wasn't a great score, to be honest. And I mean, how do you feel about this score in general? Like, what's your favorite 
moment in the score. I think my reckon? favorite cue is the responsibility theme because yep. it is that gravitas, weight, sweeping, lyrical score. To me, it's a very lyrical score. Yep. It's hummable, you yep. know, um, and that's what I like most about any kind of music is that I need to identify it really easily. It's hummable and it instantly kind of puts me back into the mindset of when I was watching the movie. I don't know, but what about you? What is your favorite moments? I I think it's an interesting score because when I think about something like, when I think about my favorite scores, right, I think about Star Wars and John Williams and he almost makes every scene kind of memorable in his music. Like, and I don't know how he does it because Danny Elfman... God. Yeah, exactly. But Danny Elfman is a leitmotif kind of composer Mm. as well. He is. But the most memorable moment for me is the opening credits. Because everything's stated in full and he gets to kind of have his moment in the sun. And um, I think I'd also argue in the nature of Star Wars, everything is meant to be bombastic. Yeah. Of itself. And with Spider-Man, some of the stuff is meant to be subtle. Yeah. Unfortunately, because, you know, I would have loved it that Elfman wrote a sweeping love theme like Han and Leia. For John Williams, for Star Wars, I just don't see what it would fit within the context of the Spider-Man movie. You know what I mean? For sure. And I do, I do like that the themes are all kind of related, and it gives this um, feeling of connectedness and throughout yeah. because it is at heart just his story. Like That's we have true. other characters, but it is you a- know even in Star Wars we have multiple arcs going on. Mm. There's really only Peter and the villain, and the villain even then isn't focused much as heavy as heavily as Peter is. Well, I mean, that's what Spider-Man 3 took the wrong. <laughs> well, they had uh, three, yeah, three villains. villains. Which Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't learn. And Peter becomes a villain too. Oh, four vi- he was hoping that the third Marvel MCU Spider-Man movie le- learns their mistake. Let's hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know where it, where it goes to next, to be honest. But, I mean, we'll see. Well, I mean, thank you a lot to Zim for sitting here. Well, thank you for actually coming to my house with the XLR cable, the computer. So literally, thank you. You know, and ladies and gents, this is Michael Garrett's, or as I like to call him, Mikey G's idea, the genesis of the sound of scoring. I'm just happy and honored and privileged enough to come along for the ride. Yeah, I'm happy to do this with you because you you know what you're talking about. We both love talking about scores and stuff so uh yes so this has been sound of scoring the sound the sound of scoring sorry we're still growing there's gonna be growing pains yeah but uh, i think i'm quite attached to the title to be honest uh my name is michael and i've been zim you've been zim and you will be zim again maybe i've been zim Uh, next time you'll hear me as invader zim (laughs) (laughs) maybe We'll, we'll see um so yeah, thank you for listening. If you're still listening, congratulations. You have a lot of patience and yep. uh, a large attention span. If you like this content and you want more, tell us. Yeah, tell us what you want us to cover the next. We were discussing this before. We could do Star Wars. We could do... Yep, we're planning to do television and video games. Um, mm-hmm. But up until then, at such a point, just you know, hit us up. I'm assuming this has a comments page below it where you can... Maybe. Who Maybe. knows? Who knows where this is going to be on? It, it'll probably be on one or two places. Yeah. Or uh, if you can find our emails, email us. We'll send you the podcast directly. <laughs> <laughs> we won't even put it on Spotify. We'll just just email us. Hey, where's that podcast at? Yeah, we'll, boom. We'll give it to you. We'll read your minds. Uh, so 
this has been The Sound of Scoring, uh, and we leave you with the uh, end swinging cue, I guess you would call it. The, after the conclusive music of Spider-Man 2. After MJ and Peter have finally gotten get, gotten together, and, uh, and then MJ is looking at wistfully going, oh no, what have I done? I should have just married that hot astronaut guy. Oh, she's looking wistfully being like, oh no, I've started Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time right, take care everyone and stay safe Three. <laughs> I think that went pretty well. I think that did. <laughs>